So we are um, going to start a, a new series of teaching today around uh, the teachings of Jesus. And one of the things you'll hear us talk about here at New Life, um, in various congregations you go to, people will talk about this. We, we use language and sometimes we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what we're actually saying. You know what I mean? Like, if you're part of an industry, you have industry language that you use that nobody else really understands. And you just kind of use it, and you sometimes somebody will say, well, what does that even mean? And you're kind of like, I don't know. It just means what it means. And I think that happens in the church, too. So we talk about different things, and we um, sometimes just forget what we actually mean when we talk about those things. I'm not sure if, you, if you're following with me or not, but let me give you an example. Um, today we're going to talk about blessing. It's a great Christian word, right? I just got so blessed. And it's like, what does that mean? And we'll talk about that in a minute. One of the things we also tend to talk about is following Jesus. But have you ever stopped to wonder, what do, you, what do we mean when we say that we follow Jesus? You know, is he somewhere and like we're just in single file moving along? Um, for some people, I think the idea of following Jesus is, well, I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church, and so I do certain things and that means that I follow Jesus. For some people, it is um, this idea of just believing in Jesus. And so in our mission statement, we talk about um, being a congregation that helps people find Jesus and follow Jesus. And when we mean find Jesus, we don't mean that it's like hide and seek and that it's all up to you. Because one of the things that comes out clear from the scriptural uh, authors is that God is actively pursuing us. And Jesus is a wonderful example of showing us that. But then there's this element of people seeking after God. And so we want to help people in that process of both finding Jesus, but then following Jesus and not just believing in Jesus. And I guess there's a bit of a nuance there. But maybe we think Bible study, maybe we think prayer, maybe we think going to church, uh, we do good things with our neighbors, and then we can say that I follow Jesus. And, and maybe I would just respond to that, yes, but if we want to follow Jesus, I'm going to suggest that we consider what it means to live out his teachings. That following Jesus is not just about believing in Jesus, but it's actually taking him seriously in what he calls us to and what he asks us to do. So where do you go to find the teachings of Jesus? Suggestions? The Gospels, there's another bit of, of, of uh, industry lingo, right? Gospels, what is a gospel? A gospel simply means good news. And so when we talk about the Gospels, we're talking about four historical accounts in what we call the New Testament, uh, written by people um, who are known as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're right at the beginning. And so I would suggest that this is a good place to start. And the teaching of Jesus is peppered all throughout these four Gospels. But there are concentrations of it. So if this is something that you're really interested in, then I would suggest go to Matthew, the first Gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And you will find three concentrated chapters of the teachings of Jesus. 
And you might have a Bible where it's in red, which makes it really easy. Where are the teachings of Jesus? Just flip until you see red ink and then start reading it and wondering, and how does this become a part of my life? But we're actually in the Gospel of Luke, so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6 for the next number of weeks, which is Luke's version of what we find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, just to alleviate some of your concerns potentially is we're not ignoring the rest of the Bible and saying all you have to do is follow the teachings of Jesus. But because we're going through Luke's gospel, we're going to stay focused on the teaching of Jesus. And somebody might say, well, what do you mean follow the teachings of Jesus? Like, aren't we supposed to follow the teachings of the Bible? Isn't all of Scripture inspired by God? So therefore, all of Scripture is appropriate and applicable, and it's all the same. And my response to that would be in my understanding of how Jesus um, treats the Scriptures is that while all Scripture is inspired by God, is a revelation of God, it is not all equally authoritative. And that I would interpret my Bible through the lens of Jesus. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 5 and in Luke uh, twenty. Four, that these scriptures, particularly referring to the Old Testament, are the scriptures that point to me. They're leading you to me. And there's a, I think there's a good hint there in how Jesus reads his Bible and how we should read our Bible. And then for the New Testament, of course, he told his disciples, everything I've been teaching you, the Spirit is going to remind you about these things and lead you into this kind of truth. And so much of the New Testament is actually the early followers of Jesus, people by the name of Paul and Peter and James and John, who are trying to figure out together with the early Christians what it means to follow Jesus and to live out his teachings and his model and his example. And so they write letters to the churches explaining all of this. And of course, we can go to them and we can learn from them in following Jesus. But what we're going to do for the next number of weeks is actually just camp out in Luke chapter 6. So if that's something that you want to go ahead and, and read ahead, it's just a single chapter, but we're going to break it up into sections week over week. So if we want to follow Jesus... My suggestion would be that we take his teaching seriously. There's a guy named Mark Scandrett. He's written a book called Practicing the Way of Jesus. And this is what he writes. The invitation to follow the way of Jesus doesn't help us cope with the busy lives we have. And it doesn't support our quest for the Canadian dream. He's an American, so I took some liberty there. Um, <clears throat> So following Jesus doesn't support our quest for living the Canadian dream, but it does offer a radical alternative to the ways of this world that are making us hurried, weary, and tired. And I think that describes a lot of people in our communities today. And so I'm curious how open you might be to exploring with me over the coming weeks, not just sitting together and reading Jesus' teachings and then leaving, but actually talking about them. This is what he said. What does it mean for us? So in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus has already chosen his disciples. Luke is kind of laying this out for us. And then beginning at verse 20, he gives us an extended bit of Jesus' teaching. And the very first sentence that he gives us is this. Jesus turned to his disciples. Was the crowd there? 
you better believe it. There's a crowd that was there. Everywhere Jesus went, there is always a crowd. Mark particularly loves to point out the crowd. Luke points out the crowd. And sometimes people will read this and think, well, this is teaching that was for the original disciples of Jesus. The ones who were there following him. He just chose 12 of them. And so it's just for the 12. Or some will say, well, maybe it's for the, the bigger group of disciples that were there. Um, there's um, an element of, of teaching where you talk to an individual. So if I just zero in on, on my friend Jack here who's up at the front. And I just start talking to Jack. So Jack, for the rest of the sermon, I'm just going to point to you. And I'm going to talk to you. Does that mean I'm only teaching for Jack? So you guys know that I lived in London, England for five years, and I did a lot of um, dialogue with Christians and Muslims together. And there's a place in London, if you've ever been there, called Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. Has anyone ever been to Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park? It's this wonderful place where you go and you have, um, for hundreds of years, it's been the place for political debate. It's where you get the term soapbox because people would actually put their box down and stand up on it and shout out and they would just say what they want to say and the crowd would be around them and the crowd would heckle. And so this became a place where there's a lot of religious conversation going on. And so I remember being there and I learned quickly, I would be standing, I didn't get on the soapbox, I wasn't uh, brave enough for that at the time. But I'd be having a conversation and there'd be like um, maybe a dozen um, people around me but there was just me and an individual, and I was talking to this individual. But what I realized quickly is I wasn't just talking to him or to her, but to all the others who were listening who wanted to say stuff, but they didn't want to get in conversation. And so my teaching to, to them was through that individual. And I'd suggest that this is what's happening in this passage here in Luke 6. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but it's not just for the disciples. It's for the crowd, and it's for all the disciples that would be coming later. So let's read what Jesus says when he's talking to his disciples. He turned to them and he said, Verse 26, verse 20, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you'll laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you, exclude you, mock you, curse you as evil, because you follow the Son of Man. That's the term Jesus used for himself predominantly, Son of Man. And when that happens, be happy. Do you, do you sense the irony going on here? When all these awful things happen to you, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. What a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. So up to this point, this is very similar to what Matthew does in Matthew chapter 5 and what's known as the Beatitudes. But Luke doesn't stop there. He includes some other things that Jesus said. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. Now 
If we want to follow the teaching or follow Jesus, then we take his teaching seriously. And one of the first things Jesus does is make a lot of us uncomfortable. Because he talks about the poor, which we're okay with. But then what Luke does here is he includes teaching of Jesus, which just, do you just find yourself a bit squirmish when you read that? I would suggest that these are words to live by. They're difficult to hear. And the teaching of Jesus isn't always warm and fuzzy. Is it, it isn't always, come to me, you who are tired and worn out, and I will give you rest. We like that. We crochet that on our, on our wall hangings. But I've yet to walk into a house where there's this lovely, beautiful painting of an eagle on, on or, you know, something serene on the picture, and then beside it is, woe to you who are rich. We just kind of gloss over those teachings. This isn't the first time that we hear this tone about blessed are the poor and woe to the wealthy. We were introduced to this in Luke chapter 1. Let's look at Mary's song. Oh, this is Mary singing when she finds out she's pregnant with Jesus. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And then she goes on and she starts to compare things. And she says, he has filled the hungry with good things. And he has sent the rich away with empty hands. And if you remember looking back to that, um, this is revolutionary this is a revolutionary song that Mary's doing. And so what Jesus is giving us here is not unique to Jesus. We find it in Mary. It was actually in other teachings in the time that the wealthy, they've got what they've got now, and the poor are going to be elevated. But what Jesus, I think, is doing here is, is I think what he's, he's saying, the kingdom of God is now here. And the things that you've been hoping for, they're actually starting to come true. And in this passage, Jesus is inviting us to rethink how this world operates. If you remember, we talked about Luke does this masterful job of creating the great reversal. That in the systems that we live in today, if you think about it, who are the people that are most desired today and most applauded? The wealthy, the successful, those who are praised by the crowds, those who are laughing now and living high in life. And we generally, in our systems in this day, say that person is blessed. In fact, you can even use your Bible and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, where Moses is laying out things for the Israelite people. And he says, if you follow God's laws and obey his commands, then you will be wealthy and prosperous and always have food and never be hungry and I think in the church today, um, we are tempted to equate God's blessing with material wealth and prosperity. And people who are living in poverty are the unfortunate ones. This word blessed can also mean fortunate. 
I won't bore you with uh, the Greek language of it, but there's a guy named Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson was a pastor and he was a scholar and he translated the Bible uh, into a common paraphrase in today's language. And when he came to the passage in Matthew 5 and here in Luke 6, um, he actually, in an interview that I watched, he didn't want to use the word blessed because that's really churchy. Does anybody at work ever talk like, oh, I just got blessed? It was so, sometimes maybe we talk about blessing, but we do use the word fortunate and we understand fortunate. But he actually argued that he wanted to use the word lucky. And the editors wouldn't let him because it would have caused too many problems among the people who would be reading the Bible. But I love the fact that this guy wanted to capture um, kind of the, the zeitgeist of the day by using the word lucky. The poor are the lucky ones. Who are the poor? That's one of those people we, I talk about othering. We do a good job at othering people. So we talk about the poor. And of course, there's some of us that will be sitting and saying, well, hey, I'm among them. It's easy to think that you are poor. All you got to do is go on social media and look at somebody that has a bigger home, more cars, and better vacations. And you can say, they're wealthy, they're fortunate, I'm the unlucky one. Or we could get really technical and we could look at the Canadian poverty level. Interestingly, when I was researching this, it is really hard to come up with a definite number. They use percentages of the, of the median average income and and different things like that. So after doing a fair bit of research and thinking I had it sorted out, I thought, I'm going to call Rob. I called Rob Hardy from the Salvation Army uh, with the work they do. And I said, Rob, do you know what the poverty level is? And this is what he told me. So if you're a single person um, and you're making 25000 or under, even up to 30000 and under, it's kind of like that's, that's your poverty level there. Two adults, two kids would be um, 40000 or less. And of course, when it comes to poverty, I think if all we did was relegate it to income, we've just done a gross injustice to people. So I don't want to spend the morning trying to help you understand who's poor and who isn't. But I do want to point out that one of the things we do is we tend to look up to others who have more than us and say, well, that's wealth. It's like every politician talks about wanting to serve the middle class. And just ask, like, who are the middle class? Just about everybody you can think of is, um, considers themselves middle class. More than just asking the question, who are the poor, is to ask this question, why are the poor blessed? Why would Jesus say this? The poor are blessed. I wonder if it's because when you're not sure uh, how you're going to pay the rent at the end of the month, when you're not sure where the next meal's going to come from, when you're not sure if you can bring yourself to go to the food bank yet again and ask for another handout, somehow you're much more open to receiving and looking to God and simply saying, I've got nothing else. 
It's interesting when you look at what Jesus is doing before Luke 6 in chapter 4 and chapter 5. He is spending already an unusual amount of time with people who we would consider the outcast, the marginalized, the less than, the last, the least, and the lost. And then he starts off his teaching by saying, these are the people who are the lucky ones. These are the people who are blessed. And I wonder if it's just simply because they are that much more open to what God wants to do in their lives. And they realize that this life is not all there is. But it's also recognizing that this life is in the moment and God's concerned about now, not spiritualizing eternity as disembodied beings. And so I think, essentially, the, the poor and the least are best positioned to embrace Jesus and his way. And ultimately, they are blessed. That's why they are blessed. So, verse 24 in this passage. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? And you maybe are wondering, like, was he serious about the woe thing? And so, you can read this and you're tempted to think, if you, if you want to be fortunate, if you want to be blessed by God, then you need to be poor. And if you have any kind of wealth, then God can never bless you. And that would be one way that you could read this passage. And, and I would probably argue with you that that's maybe not the healthiest way to read this passage. One scholar who writes about this says, this passage is not prescriptive, it's ascriptive. Meaning that it's kind of, what Jesus is doing is he's explaining the way things generally are but then he uses the shock value to completely flip it upside down and says this is how things generally are or this is how things are in the kingdom of God. So in our world, generally, the way things are is the wealthy are the fortunate ones and the poor are the unfortunate ones. And then Jesus just flips it upside down and says, let me start my teaching off by grabbing you and shaking you so that you can pay attention to something that's really, really important. Because when we ask who are the poor, like I just suggested, it's not hard to look at the Zuckerbergs and the Bezoses and people like Mr. Musk. And then we can say, I'm not wealthy, they are. And we let ourselves off the hook. And I don't think Jesus lets us off the hook that easily. Because I don't think he's interested in actually ascertaining your net wealth. What he's trying to do is to grab a hold of you and shake you into realizing the mindset you have towards wealth. I think that's what he's doing here. There's a guy that came to Jesus who was very religious. I guess he would have thought, I follow Jesus. And he did all the right things. He went to church. He prayed. He gave some of his money. Uh, he read the scriptures. Uh, he didn't worship false idols. And then he said to Jesus, and you could tell that there's something empty inside. He's trying to figure out there's got to be something more to this. And he says, well, what else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus just walks through all those things 
that the scriptures would have talked about. And the guy's like, I'm doing it all. And Jesus says, oh yeah, there's just one more thing. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. And when you read this story, the guy left and he kind of walked away with his head down because he had great wealth. And then Jesus, talking with the religious leaders who were in on all this, said something really profound. You can't serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And in Matthew's version, I think it's Matthew's version, Jesus uses the word mammon. And, and wealth is the only false god that Jesus actually gives a name to. He calls it mammon. We translate a lot of it money or riches or wealth. But it's actually a capitalized name. And I think it's profound that Jesus names this one particular false god. Because it's the one that makes it so hard for us to actually let go and trust God. Because what we think is if we have enough will be fine. But what happens is it becomes very focused on self. And everything we see in Jesus is a person who lived an other-oriented life. And he's calling us to follow in that way and follow in that teaching. So I think there's this wonderful gift here that he's given us. And just saying the lucky ones are the poor and the hungry and the mourning and the hated. And the unlucky ones are the rich and the fat and the prosperous and those who are laughing and enjoying life now and are praised by the crowds. Because one is open to receiving from God and having an experience with God that none of these other things can offer. And the other just can't quite see it or can't quite get it. What a gift. Because it shakes us up and it makes us squirm in our seat. Because we all walk away going like, what is my mindset towards the wealth that I've been blessed with? And how am I using it the way Jesus is leading me to? And of course, the wonderful thing is I don't have to tell you how to use it. That's stuff that the Spirit does in each and every one of us. But there is a very high shock value here. And I think our propensity to want to just gloss over those verses speaks volumes. And I think there's an invitation from the Holy Spirit for each and every one of us to sit in these verses and soak in them. And see where the Spirit is going to guide and lead. So if we want to follow Jesus by taking his teaching seriously and living out his teaching, then I think we start today with this awareness of the lucky ones who are the poor and the unlucky ones who are the wealthy. And one of the things that we do in, in our personal growth, and even in growth as a community, is there's kind of two ways of, of processing things. Sometimes you have to be introspective and process internally, and then other times you have to be um, active 
and process externally. So I want to ask you the question, as we've gone through this this morning, if you really want to follow Jesus, what is it that you need right now? Do you need to sit with this passage and process and ask the Spirit to check your heart and your mindset toward wealth, toward how you are caring for those that are less fortunate? Or the other way of processing is sometimes the Spirit says, you've done enough thinking and talking about this. Now get off your seat and go out that door and do something. And I wonder which one you might need today. What I'm going to do in the coming weeks is some point I'm going to ask you to get into groups and just think through a question and dialogue about it a little bit. We're not going to do that today. But I do want to ask you this question. If the poor are blessed by God, what could you do or what could we do this week to embrace them and experience God with them? And I want to ask you this question. When we think about those who are, who are living in poverty, do you know where they are in our communities? How could we go to them and receive from them, learn from them, experience community with them. If you want to follow Jesus, one of the most profound ways you can do so and experience God in profound, life-changing ways is to live out his teachings. You think experiencing a great song and raising your hands is amazing? Experience of God? Go and work in a soup kitchen and see what kind of experience you have. Not that one is better than the other. But if you're looking for not just knowing about God but experiencing him, then I invite you to take his teachings seriously and live them. And we're going to explore that over the coming weeks. We're going to finish this morning actually with a song. Uh, Steve's going to come back up and he's going to lead us through this song, The Same Love. And in the chorus, it talks about Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling you. Will you follow? Let's stand together one more time and just wrap up with these words. Same love that opened eyes to see.
you're calling each of us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves today. You have something that we can do to respond to you, to share your love with those around us whose circumstances might be different in any number of ways. And God, my prayer over our church family this week is that as we go out those doors, as we go into the world, that we will hear the small and that still voice, the whisper of your spirit speaking to us each day. God, lead us into the work you have us to do, and we commit ourselves to that. Thank you for your presence with us this morning, for gathering us around yourself and the beauty of your teachings. We pray these things in your name.
Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning here in the room and watching online at home. Have a fantastic week, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next Sunday.